they come back. I'm not sure what door they'll be getting in, but we'll try to get you a study sheet so that you can kind of follow along with the, with the train of thought this morning. But man, what a, what a, what a great time of baptism. I'm, I, I, I tell you what, it, it's just, you know, you can, I can hardly wipe the smile off my face. It's, it's just such an encouraging time, such an exciting time. And man, every time we end with that song, I think I'm going to spontaneously combust if I don't have the opportunity to preach after that song. Like something bad is going to happen. Like if somebody else was on the docket, I might just like push them off stage to get to it and start preaching. Like that song just does, it just does it just does it for me. So anyway, we we've been in a series this last month or so that we've been calling it the the parallel paradigm. And I want to take just a minute to to bring everybody up to speed as to, as to why I called it that. There's this monumental moment that we find in Luke chapter 4, which is the basis of this series. And in, in this monumental moment in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is he's about to kick off his earthly ministry. He's 30 years old. He's lived his life in mostly relatively in obscurity. And he's about to kick things off, and Jesus walks into his home church, and, and as the custom was, someone was going to read the scripture. And, and on this day, they, they give Jesus the book, or they, they give him the scroll, and, and he turns to Isaiah 61. Now, back then, they didn't have chapter and verse markings, but he turns to what we now know as Isaiah 61. <clears throat> and in Isaiah 61, it's a prophecy concerning the Messiah. And if you can raise your hand, it looks like we've got study sheets hot off the press. <clears throat> but but, but it, this, this passage in Isaiah 61, it's a prophecy concerning the Messiah. And, and what happens next, we find in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And, and this is the this series is based on this passage. And this is what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus says this, and then he goes and he sits down, and he sits down in a place of authority. He sits down as a place of a teacher, is what that symbolizes. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And what Jesus is saying is, you know that prophecy about the Messiah in Isaiah 61 that I just read? I'm the guy. That's me. You can imagine that moment of like, Whoa, whoa, you know, just taken aback, right? I'm him, and, and not only am I him, here's what my ministry is going to look like now that I'm here. It's going to be exactly like Isaiah prophesied it would be. And when we look at the Gospels, we see that that's exactly what Jesus did. He specifically went to each of these groups that are mentioned in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. But what happened was, is that ultimately, Jesus Christ ascended back up 
into heaven, didn't he? And so the literal, physical body of Christ wasn't there anymore, and it isn't here anymore, but now he's got us, the church, here. And he calls the church a very specific and a very calculated name. He calls the church, what's he call us? The body of Christ. That's not an accident. We're the second body of Christ, if you will. So as the body of Christ, it isn't up to us as a church, as the body of Christ, to, to just sit around and decide, hey, at Cali Harvin Baptist Church, what should our ministry look like as a church? No, we, we don't have that freedom. We're the body of Christ. Our ministry should look like Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry is the paradigm. A paradigm is a, is a model or it's an example. So our ministry should, be, should run parallel to the ministry of Jesus. And, and if you've been here for this series, you've heard me say this next line quite a few times, but bear with me. Just like two parallel lines that are heading in the same direction, accomplishing the same things, only those lines are separated by space, our ministry should head in the same direction, accomplish the same things as Jesus' ministry, only separated by time. And that's why we're calling this series The Parallel Paradigm. And what we've done is, is each week, we've, we've looked at each of these specific groups of people that you see in the verse on, on the screen. These people that are mentioned in Luke 4.18, where Jesus basically lays out the itinerary. Here's where this ministry, my ministry is going. Here's where this thing is headed. And, and to this point in the series, we've looked at the poor. We've looked at the brokenhearted. We've looked at the captives. And, and we've looked at the blind. And this morning, we're going to dive into this next group of people, which according to Luke 4.18 is them that are bruised. And we're going to talk about how to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to them that are bruised. And, and each week we've looked at these different groups of people and we've used actually the same exact outline. Or, or in other words, we've covered the same exact main points each week, but the group of people that we've been looking at is different. And each week what we've attempted to do is to make a 21st century identification of these people. What if Jesus didn't come in the first century? What, what if he came in the 21st century? That passage in Isaiah 61 is still sitting back there on ice. That prophecy has not yet been fulfilled. Who are those people in our day and time that we, we can identify? Who are those people that he'd minister to? Who are these bruised that he'd be ministering to? So if we're going to have a ministry that's a a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must, number one on your study sheet, make a 21st century identification of the bruised. We must make a 21st century identification of the bruised. And, and this answers the question, who? Who is to be the focus of our ministry? Now, now when you begin studying the Bible, it, it doesn't take you long to, to see that God always takes examples in the physical world to teach us spiritual truths. He does this all the time. So, for example, in the, in the middle of this message, if I slip and 
slip, you know, one of these boards down here gets me tripped up, and I slip and I bash my arm off of this metal hard pulpit here, you know, well, first of all, I'm going to pretend like it didn't hurt, and then, you know, and then second of all, of course, I'll sue, you know, but, 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 but if that, if that happens to me, in a couple days, it may bruise, right? Now, it probably wouldn't bruise me too bad, but if you've ever had a legit bruise, you know what it makes you do. It, it makes it where you don't want anybody to get close to that thing, right? It, it hurts. It makes us real sensitive in that spot. It, it, and Jesus is saying he looks at the world and he isn't necessarily saying that he sees little bruises and nicks on people's knees and elbows, but he sees them as bruised. You know, somewhere along the way, the, in people's lives, the condition of life that they've oftentimes been forced to live in has left them impacted or traumatized in such a way that, that they're in pain, they're in sorrow, they live lives in sadness and fear. And, and that's what Jesus had in mind when he, when, he, when he talks about the bruised. Now, I know that's a pretty broad stroke that, that we're making, right? People that have been bruised or, or that have had tough circumstances in life, that's a, that's a, that's a broad stroke. And so each week, what I've tried to do is give us some handles on, on this thing uh, as to who are these people that are around us. So I want us to look at who these people are more specifically this morning. What's happened to these people that Jesus sees as bruised? So, so for example, we have kids growing up all around us with abusive parents. And the stats on that thing are, are pretty mind-boggling. Uh, according to the child maltreatment report, there are 700,000 substantiated cases of child abuse each year in this country. Each year, and that's just substantiated. Can you imagine how many there are that no one even knows about? Now, Child Protective Services, they get over 4 million referrals each year. They can substantiate 700,000 of them. And of course, sadly enough, parents are the ones most likely to be the ones doing the abusing. And do you understand that those kids are growing up in a world where they have been bruised? They've been traumatized. And, and, and it's amazing that the stats show that actually the, the ones most likely to abuse someone are the ones who have been abused themselves. Some have been abused by, in, in a, have been bruised by an abusive spouse. The statistics say that one out of every three women in this country will be physically or sexually abused by their husband or boyfriend at some point in their life. That's sick. And, and, and there's trauma involved in that kind of abuse. And it's happening all around us. A few weeks ago, we talked about bonded slaves. We, we saw that the, that, that the way that these slave owners have this thing set up is they get people in debt. This obviously happens especially in some third world countries. But they, they, they get people in debt and they have them work off their debt. 
but they're never going to pay them enough for them to completely pay it off. So it'll be that way for the rest of their life and for generations. It's going to be that way as, as bonded slaves in, in, unless somebody sets at liberty them that are bruised. We've got people that are bruised from rejection in their life. Kids that feel rejected or unloved by their parents. Husbands or wives that have been rejected in one form or another by their, sport, by their spouse or their former spouse. And it leaves people bruised. There are people that are bruised because of things all the way back into high school where the way they were treated. Kids are ruthless. And, 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 and yes, we all need to learn to get on the other side of those things. But the reality is it leaves people bruised, y'all. And just imagine trying to get over those things without the power of God in your life. How about those who have lived through an untimely death? You live through the death of a friend, a family member, or a loved one, that thing will leave you bruised, man. And I could go on and on with the different ways and different, way, different ways that people are bruised. There are so many different ways. There are so many different sources. But you know why there's so much depression in the world you know why there's so much addiction in the world it's because of all the stuff that we just talked about and the interesting thing about bruising is is that you can't always tell if someone is bruised and you can't tell where they've been bruised just like in the physical world it's usually covered up you know you, you know you get one of those right there, we used to call that a Charlie horse I th back in my day, but I think that's, you guys, that's a cramp, I think, how people refer to it now. But, you know, you get one of those right there, and man, I'm telling you what, you don't, you don't see that thing, and, you know, unless you're wearing Daisy Dukes, you don't, you don't, you don't see that thing right there. But, but you know what, every step you take, you feel it in every step, but people just don't come out with that. You know, you don't just come up, you know, hey, my name's Justin. I just thought you should know I've been bruised. You know, that's, that's just not how we roll in real life. People aren't going to walk around and say, I'm, I'm bruised from the physical and verbal abuse that I sustained at the hands of my parents growing up. I'm bruised from the sexual abuse that I lived through. I'm bruised from how heart, heartless my classmates were in, in high school. I'm bruised from my spouse. No one's going to do that. All that bruising is usually under the surface. But, but here's how it fleshes itself out. For some, it makes them kind of go into hibernation, right? It makes them a little reclusive. They just, they don't come out much. They don't want anybody to hit that tender spot. It's been hit enough. For others, it makes them super sensitive. Everything hurts their feelings. And I know how it goes. We have the tendency to kind of diss those people. Oh, you better walk on eggshells around old Sally. Oh, that Karen, man, she can be a real Karen. <laughs> and, and I know that stuff can be frustrating, but I want us to see that oftentimes the reason that they're so touchy is because they've been so bruised. For, for others, it, it, it maybe fleshes itself out in anger right? It, it's, but it's the result of being bruised. And, and, and I don't say all of that to, 
to give excuses for bruised people to behave badly because there is victory in Jesus Christ. I say it so that all of us will see them the way Jesus sees them despite their behavior. Because if we're going to have a ministry that's like the ministry Jesus had when he was here, we're going to have to look beyond where they are and see how they got there and seek to set them at liberty. To set at liberty them that are bruised. So first of all, to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must make a 21st century identification of the bruised. And then secondly, we must capture God's heart for the bruised. Number two on your study sheet, we must capture God's heart for the bruised. This answers the question, why? Why should I concern myself with the bruised? If our ministry in this world is ever going to look like the ministry of Jesus, we've got to capture his heart. And if we're going to see it for what it really is, I think we've got to start with the first place that we find bruising in the Bible and trace that thing back. Do you know where the first place is that we see it? It comes right off the heels of when we see sin entered into the world. And in Genesis 3.15, God comes down into the garden and he, and he talks to the man and he talks to the woman and he, and he talks to the serpent. He talks to, he talks to Satan and here's what he says. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, what's, what's that all about? Well, we looked at this passage a little bit earlier in this series a few weeks ago, and I don't have time to break it all down, but this is actually a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ found clear back in Genesis 3 right after the account of sin entering into the world. But, we, but this is a, a prophecy that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be born of a virgin. The seed of a woman, it says. Woman doesn't have a seed now, does she? One would come from a woman who had never known a man. And in the midst of him coming, what Satan would do was Satan was going to bruise his heel. That's the crucifixion, y'all. This is what Isaiah 53 is, is talking about. Isaiah 53 is a, it's an Old Testament passage that teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it teaches us about his ministry when he came in that earthly, physical, human body. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Satan wanted to tempt Eve so that she'd be a partaker of sin because sin is what caused bruising to enter into this world. Do you see that? All of, all of those things we've been talking about that has caused people to be bruised is a direct result of Satan and it's a direct result of sin. And if you want to get God's heart on this thing, guys, God looked at this world full of bruised people because of Satan and sin, and he, he became a man, and he came down here, and because of our iniquities, he was bruised. You go back and you watch what happened when they, when they brought Jesus back to Pilate's hall, and, 
and they blindfolded him, and one by one they came and hit him in the face. And they laughed, and they mocked. Do you understand the bruising involved in that? They, they took him out, and they whipped his back, and they turned his back inside out. And they nailed him to that cross, and they jammed that crown of thorns on his head. And all of that happened because we allowed bruising to enter into this world. And we allowed ourselves to be bruised by Satan and by sin. And God's heart is so for the bruised in this world that he became a man himself and was bruised for our iniquity. He literally became sin for us, the Bible says, even though he'd never known sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then look at the unbelievable statement made just a few verses down in Isaiah 53 and verse 10. Can you ever get your mind quite wrapped around this statement here? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Are you kidding me? I don't even get that. What is so wild is the bruised people of this world, they think they've been forsaken by God when the God of the Bible says he was pleased to let the son of his love, his only begotten son in whom he was well pleased, be bruised. Listen, it pleased him to bruise him so that we could be set at liberty from our bruises, guys. And if we're going to understand God's heart, we, we've got to understand that, that God most definitely wants to comfort those that are bruised. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that, that he is, he's not just the God of comfort, but the God of all comfort. If we're going to understand God's heart, then we've got to understand that God wants to pour out his grace on them that are bruised. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 and, and 1 Peter 5, 10, it teaches us that, that it teaches us, there should be a slide for that. It teaches us that, there it is. It teaches us that he's not just the God of grace, he's the God of all grace. And, and if we're going to understand God's heart, we've got to understand that he wants to give peace to them that are bruised. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says that, that he is the, Lord of peace. And if we're going to understand God's heart, we've got to understand He wants to protect them that are bruised. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4, says just that. It says there's a secret place that you can go under the shadow of His wings, and there you can find refuge. You can find a fortress there. If we're going to have His heart, we've got to understand He wants to comfort the bruise. He wants to pour out his grace on them. He wants to protect them. He wants to give them peace. But if you're really going to understand God's heart for the bruised, it's not just the fact that he wants to comfort, pour out grace, bring peace, and bring protection. Here's where you see God's heart. It's in Luke 4.18, the verse that this whole study is based on. You know what he wants to do? He wants to set at liberty them that are bruised. 
That's bigger than comfort, y'all. That's bigger than grace. He wants to set at liberty them that are bruised. He wants to set them free. That's God's heart for the bruised. Free you from that thing, man. There's a third thing, if we're going to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus. We've got to make a 21st century identification. We've got to capture God's heart. And then thirdly, we must develop a biblical attitude toward the bruised. Develop a biblical attitude toward the bruised. This answers the question, what? What's to be my attitude toward the bruised? And and already this morning, when we made a 21st century identification of the bruised, I tried to, to call your attention to how people got that way. So maybe we can just turn in our thinking and, and maybe see some of these highly sensitive people and highly reactionary people and just see how it is that they got there. And then maybe, just maybe, we might be able to capture God's heart so that we've got the right attitude that we need to be able to minister to them. And, and we're going through all that to see God's heart. And I, and I want to make sure that you see that God's got a plan for the bruised. Now, we've looked at this every week, and so a lot of you know what's coming. He's got a plan for all these groups of people that are found in Luke 4.18. He's got a plan for the poor. He's got a plan for the brokenhearted. He's got a plan for the captives. He's got a plan for the blind, and he's got a plan for the bruised. But the strange thing is, is it always comes back to the same thing, doesn't it? God's plan is us. We're the plan. There is no plan B. We're the body of Christ now, y'all. And maybe out of any of the ones that we've talked about in this series so far, this one may be the most difficult to carry out. You know why? Because the chances are good that a good portion of people that are in this room this morning have never been set at liberty from the things that have bruised you. And that bruising can get us messed up. It can affect our attitude. It can affect our disposition. It can affect our ability to work. It can affect our ability to love. It can affect our ability to receive love. And God says, what I want to do is through my body, through all the people who have been born again, I want to use my body to set them at liberty, set at liberty them that are bruised. And I want to say to you this morning, before you can set at liberty them that are bruised, you're going to have to be set at liberty from your own bruising. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. I think we could say that healed people heal people. And so I want us to see some of the ways that we can be set at liberty so that we can set others at at liberty as well, because that may be what needs to happen in order for us to be able to minister in this way. And and if that's ever going to happen, we've got to do something that sounds very simple, but I believe it's very profound. We've got to look to Jesus. We've got to look to Jesus. And again, I know that sounds very, very simple, but with the day and age that we're living in more than ever before, I believe it's relevant. Because we have more voices to listen to now 
then we know what to do with. We have options to deal with our bruising now. And what I want you to know is that outside of Jesus Christ, they are all distractions and diversions. You can go to the Christian bookstore and get a bunch of opinions on how to deal with your bruising. You can flip those pages in there until you've paper-cutted your fingers into oblivion. You can get on YouTube and you can scroll up and down on those videos until your eyes glaze over with people that have something to say about being set at liberty from your bruises. But we've got to look to Jesus beyond any man on this planet. You say, well, I'll go to a pastor to counsel me then. But if your pastor is honest enough to admit it, they aren't capable of bearing everybody else's bruises. All we can do is point you to Jesus. That's all we can do. But there is a counselor that you can go to. And according to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, oh man, he, he's a wonderful counselor. And he can help you. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, check this out, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, there's some great authors out there, and there might even be some that can help you a little bit, but there's only one author of your faith, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is he the author of it, he's the finisher of it and he knows what you're going through isaiah 45 and verse 22 says this isaiah 45 22 it says look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for i am god and there is none else look to me because no one can deal with the bruising like i can look to him and bring him the mental or physical abuse you received from a parent. Look to him and bring him the mental or physical abuse you received from a spouse. Look to him and, and bring him the mental and physical bruising you received from cruel classmates. Look to him and bring it all to him. He wants to set you at liberty. Do you believe that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, Paul says that there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Listen, God's trying to teach us something here. He's trying to teach us that we're not the exception, but that this thing is common to man. And that's not to undermine your bruising, but that's to empower you to get victory over it. Because the rest of the verse says, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God says, you're not alone in this thing. And not only that, I want to take it. I want to give you the ability to bear it because I want to set you at liberty. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, my grace is sufficient. For thee. Do you believe his grace is sufficient for you to handle your bruising? In Psalm 27 and verse 13, the psalmist said, I had fainted, or I would have I passed out. I would have been in the corner in the fetal position. 
I, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So I looked at him and I gave it to him. And, 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 and we certainly need to look to him and we need to give it to him. But in the midst of doing that, y'all, what we need to do is we need to exemplify him as well. And, and here's what I mean. If we were to talk about the different stories in, in this room, we could probably get ourselves pretty worked up and maybe pretty ticked off just thinking about certain people. And I know that from a, a natural perspective, you have every reason in the world to be hurt. From a natural perspective, you have every reason in the world to be angry. You have every reason in the world to be vengeful. I know that from a natural perspective, I know the people that bruise you don't deserve your grace and they don't deserve your kindness, much less your forgiveness. But please listen to me. God has never called us to do what was natural. The supernatural God of the universe moved on the inside of us the day that we got saved, and now he wants to empower us to do the supernatural. In the midst of all the bruising that everybody in this room has been through, to one degree or another, God says to us in Ephesians 4, in verse 31, here's what he says. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of all that stuff. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Here's the zinger. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You remember why he was bruised? It was for our iniquities, and yet he forgave us, didn't he? You bruised him, and he graciously showed you tenderheartedness, kindness, and he forgave you. And now he says, that's exactly what I want you to do with the people that have bruised you. Emulate your Savior. Do what he did. He wants us to emulate him. He wants us to be like his son. He wants us to be conformed into his image. Romans 8 and verse 29 says it this way. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be like his son, emulating him and conformed into his image. But what we need to understand is that the way we get conformed into his image is by fellowshipping with him. And certainly we fellowship with him through his word, right? We fellowship with him through his book. And that's, you know, we're all, we're in, in yes, and it, we are all cool with that, and I'm cool with that. But he also wants to fellowship with us in another way. He wants to fellowship with him in his sufferings. Philippians 3.10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. You see, it's, it's through the fellowship that we have with Jesus in His sufferings that we're made conformable 
unto his death. And that's how we know him. That's how we experience the power. And you know that all that, all that bruising that we go through in life, all that bruising that we've gone through in life, I want to give you another term for it. Fellowship. It's fellowship. It's the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and while God's purposes are to make us like Christ, those bruises come to us. And rather than making us like him, they move us away from him because we think we've been forsaken by God. We've been forsaken by our friends. They deceived us. They used us. And all it is is everything that Jesus went through when he came to this planet and suffered and died for us. Listen, bruising is part of the deal. It's part of the human experience because of the fellowship we experience with the Lord Jesus Christ at those times. It's part of the deal. And may I remind us that God's purpose and plan in this life is not to please us. It's for us to bring Him pleasure. And we bring Him pleasure by being conformed into His image, and we're conformed to His image by being bruised like He was. Then lastly, to have a ministry that's a parallel paradigm to the ministry of Jesus, we must, number four, follow Jesus' example in ministering to the bruised. Follow Jesus' example in ministering to the bruised. This answers the question, how? How are we to carry out this ministry? Letter A, like Jesus, we must endure our bruising for the joy that is set before us. We must endure our bruising for the joy that's set before us. You know how Jesus endured it? For the joy that was set before him. Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 2 that we looked at earlier says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, what's next? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know how he made it through? There was joy that was set before him. And that joy was to set us at liberty. And what we've got to do is we've got to endure our bruising that we endure in this life for the joy that is set before us. The joy of being like Jesus. The joy of knowing Him. The joy of the power of His resurrection. The joy of His life being lived through us. We've got to endure our bruising, knowing and understanding there's joy at the end of this thing because God is trying to make us more like his son. Let her be like Jesus. We must seek to set them at liberty that are bruised, even though we have been bruised. Let her be on your study sheet. Like Jesus, we must seek to set them at liberty that are bruised, even though we have been bruised. We, we, we saw in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was bruised for our iniquities and and yet he came to this planet and the purpose of him coming was to set at liberty them that are bruised and so what i'm saying to us is somehow some way 
We've got to get on the other side of the bruising that we've gone through in our lives. At some point, we've got to stop licking our wounds and look to Jesus for his care and give it to him and emulate him and forgive like we've been forgiven. And then let her see. Like Jesus, we must allow resurrection power to bruise the head of Satan. Like Jesus, we must allow resurrection power to bruise the head of Satan. Remember earlier when we looked at Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15? It said of the Lord Jesus Christ that Satan would bruise his heel. The first place we see this concept of bruising in the Bible. But, but, but look at what the rest of the verse says in Genesis 3.15. In the whole process of the Lord Jesus Christ getting his heel bruised, what he was going to do is he was going to bruise Satan's head. Would you have, rather have a bruise on your heel or, or would you rather have a bruise on your head? Now, if you pick wrong, I think you may already have a bruise on your head. <laughs> but which would you rather, which would you rather have? And, and, and what happened after the crucifixion is the Lord Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. And because of that life, he's coming back. And, and the Bible says when he comes back, he's going to put his foot down on the Mount of Olives. And under that foot is going to be the head of of the Antichrist. It's going to be the head of Satan incarnate. And because of the power of that resurrection, he's going to bruise his head. Paul said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Listen, we get bruised and we fellowship in suffering and we die. We become like Christ and we experience his power. And then listen to what it says in Romans 16, 20. Check this out. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under Jesus' feet. Is that what it says? And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. We're not sure what to do with that thought, are we? Because of the power of the resurrection, he'll do that. When you, when you come to grips with why this bruising has been in your life and you understand that it's it conforming you to his death so you can experience the power of his resurrection. In order for there to be resurrection, there has to be death. What happens is then you're set at liberty from your bruising and in turn, Satan is bruised under your foot. Do you see that? That's what God intends from every single one of us in this room. And, and, and we need to be set at liberty today. Let's move on. Let's, let's fulfill the purpose that God has given us in our lives. And, and, have, and, and as the body of Christ, have the ministry of Jesus and set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus, we, we love you. We're thankful, God, that you desire to set at liberty them that are bruised, God, because I have a feeling we've all got a few of them. I thank you, God, for the heart that you have for people, for the heart that you have for the low, the heart you have for the poor, 
for the brokenhearted, God, for the captives. Jesus, you've got a heart for this people, and you teach us that you came to reach these people, God. I pray for those of us here, Lord, that, that either are or have been maybe struggling with bruising for a long, long time, God. Man, may this be the day that we turn the corner on this thing. May we turn the corner, not just as an end to itself. Sure, God, we, we, we want to be on the other side of it. Oh, but my goodness, you've called us to even more than that. You've given us a purpose. You want us to reach others, God. You want us to be a part of helping others be healed from their bruising. God, would you heal us and would you, would you use us to be a part of healing others? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you will, let's stand. All to Jesus' side.